At some point, this team has to get going. It's seven straight games against teams in playoff spots. They still need another scoring wing. Rebuilding is a dirty word. Newsday presents the Island Ice Podcast with Andrew Gross. And welcome to Island Ice episode 155. As the debate now turns to whether the Islanders should be buyers or sellers or just stick to the status quo at the March 3rd NHL trade deadline. Hi, I'm Andrew Gross of Newsday. We'll delve into that topic on this episode as well as answer your questions for Andrew's answers. Plus, I had a chat with defenseman Noah Dobson about his ability to sell a shot and get off a good feed that a teammate can deflect in for a goal. It's, it's happening with more frequency and it can be a potent weapon for the Islanders. But will it be a weapon in the playoffs? And as I speak, the Islanders are coming off three, you want to call them bad losses, because uh, I, I really think these were uh, six points that the Islanders, I, I think, had to have. And Coach Lane Lambert has said that every game is a must-win down the stretch. Well, if you're going to be a playoff team, you have to beat the team's below you in the standings. It's just a must because there are going to be enough really tough games. I know every game is tough in the NHL, but the Canadians, the Canucks, and the Senators are all outside the playoff picture. And the Islanders played those three Canadian teams back to back to back, and all they could muster was two points out of those three games. And there's a good chance that that three-game stretch right there on top of everything else uh, that happened in January and the losses, the two losses to the Coyotes and uh, just some of these losses to these, well, uh, non-playoff teams. That's going to be what torpedoes this Islanders season. Although they still have a chance. They they still sort of control their own destiny. They're, they're coming up on a seven-game stretch all against teams in playoff spots, and through now and, and the end of the uh, end of the regular season, the Islanders have three games each against the Penguins and Capitals. Now, you sweep all six games. I, I don't think that's incredibly likely, but you say you get five of those six wins against the Pens and Capitals. Well, now we're we, we have a different conversation going, but they got to do it. They at, at some point. This team has to get going. Since the calendar has turned since 23, the Islanders have looked anything but a playoff team. And unfortunately, this is even after uh, sending a lot of their prospect capital in Atu Ratu and draft capital in another first-round pick, albeit a top-12 protected pick, to the Vancouver Canucks, to Bo Horvat, who you could argue has been the Islanders' best player since he's gotten into the lineup. Uh, there, there are no arguments with that trade, but even with Bo Horvat in the lineup, and even with Bo Horvat making the power play noticeably better, and even with Bo Horvat connecting with Matthew Barzell on a top line, the Islanders still lose those three games to those Canadian teams. And uh, the Islanders start, you got... Two out of three with the Penguins, a home-and-home home, uh, Friday and Monday, 
coming up and sandwiched in between that is a trip to TD Garden where, where the Bruins rarely, if ever, lose. So that's a tough three-game stretch right there. It's two have-to-have games against the Penguins. And uh, the Islanders are going into it a little injury-depleted again. Uh, obviously, we know Oliver Wallstrom is probably out for the season, and Cal Clutterbuck is injured again. But now Jean-Gabriel Pajot is on injured reserve with an upper body issue, um, and that really depletes your forward depth as well. At Thursday's practice, that meant that uh, Anders Lee moved up with Bo Horvat and Matthew Barzell. You've got Zach Parisi, who, by the way, is going to skate in his 12th, 1200th game, and that's quite an accomplishment. Uh, uh, on Friday, um, he's skating on Brock Nelson's line with Kyle Palmieri, and now you got Casey Sezikis filling in for Pajot as a third-line center with Simon Holmstrom and Josh Bailey, who just continues to struggle. He did not grab that chance to skate with uh, Horvat and Barzell and produce in any meaningful way in that role. Now we'll get a chance with uh, Sezikis and Holmstrom, and honestly, you can't see that line producing a lot of points. And then you got a fourth line with either Otto Koivula or Andy Andreoff centering Matt Martin and Hudson Fashing. And again, you can't really see a lot of points coming from that line and uh, or a lot of time on ice for a, a trio like that. So uh, the Islanders do go into this heavy, tough stretch, a little bit depleted um, and a little bit top-heavy in their forward lines. So uh, again, it's seven straight games starting on Friday against the Penguins, against teams in playoff spots. You got that home-and-home home with the Penguins. You got a home-and-home home with the Winnipeg Jets. And uh, you got a, on the back end of the game with the Jets, you got a road game at Minnesota against the very tough Wild. Uh, the Los Angeles Kings come to town. I'm forgetting a couple of others, but it's seven straight games against teams in playoff spots. And... Uh, that takes us uh, the, right through the end of February and right up until the NHL trade deadline. Uh, I think the game in Minnesota is at February 28th, or I think I'm flying home from uh, Minnesota on March 1st, and then uh, you got a couple of days to the March 3rd trade deadline. This seven-game stretch is, you know, if this last three-game stretch didn't tell you everything you needed to know about this team, then this seven-game stretch absolutely for sure will. And as I said, it's three options for Lou Lamarillo. You got to buy more. Bo Horvat alone is not enough. Uh, that's been evident. Uh, you can start to sell off some of your assets or you can keep the status quo. And look, the Islanders, as I mentioned, they looked a long, long away, way away from the playoffs. In a 6-5 loss to the Canucks, they blew a 4-2 lead. Anthony Beauvillier, our old friend who went to Vancouver for Bo Horvat, he, of course, comes back to UBS Arena and he winds up scoring the winner. Um, and, and then the Islanders go to Montreal. They're again unable to hold the third period lead. They lose 4-3 in overtime. And then 
uh, the Senators playing on back-to-back nights. They played the night before. They, they came back against uh, the Flames in Ottawa. And look, the Senators are playing really good hockey. I believe their win over the Islanders was their fifth win in, sixth game, in six games. But the Islanders, they're facing rookie goalie Kevin Mandeleze. And once again, the Islanders just seem to be, you know, baffled by these young goalies making their first starts or, you know, the backup goalies always seem to do well. And Mandelaze, he makes 46 saves in his NHL debut. And you could say, you know, well, they got 48 shots on net. Um, they did get their opportunities. There were 14 shots on the power play. I thought that game was lost in the first 10 minutes. Uh, the Islanders only managed three shots on net in the first 10 minutes. And I really thought that allowed Kevin Mandelese to really settle into that game. And uh, he looked jittery at first. He was moving all through the net. He didn't look like he was balanced. He kept losing his stick. Um, He was struggling with his rebound control. But the the Islanders only get those three shots in in the first 10 minutes. And and, and Mandelese clearly settled in over the last 50 minutes and uh, the five minutes of the overtime. Again, you know... The, the, the power play has done much better with Bo Horvat, but they have a four-on-three power play against both the Canadians and the Senators in overtime, and they can't convert on either one. And uh, they just have not done well in overtimes or shootouts yet again. I think uh, it's one in three in overtimes and 0 oh and two in shootouts since uh, January 1st. And that's five crucial points that, you know, just sitting there that they can't collect. Watching those three games, you know, I know diehard fans are going to hold on to the last second, but honestly, I watched those three games and I just said, this isn't a playoff team. It just isn't. The way it's constituted right now, it's not a playoff team, even with Bo Horvat coming in. They still need another scoring wing. With Jean-Gabriel Pajot hurt, this becomes a very top-heavy lineup with those two lines. And and then, you know, you got the other two lines and... Look, Lane Lambert is starting to go away from that rolling the four-line philosophy that both him and Barry Trotz really have clung to and adhered to and and have said that the way to have success in the NHL is to roll four lines. But And I mentioned this in in the last podcast where I, I thought, you know, Bo Horvat and Matthew Barzell in particular would start to see more ice time. And you look at the last three games, uh, they're both over 20 minutes in ice time in, in all three games. And uh, uh, what was it? Bo Horvat, I think, played 27 minutes against the Senators. And, and Matthew Barzell was up at 25. His his average Time on ice for the season is, uh, was it about 1850, 1853, somewhere along there. So he's, he's playing elevated minutes now. And, and Lane Lambert is just, he's stacking the deck with these top lines because, 
Look, uh, Lane Lambert needs to win. I, I know he got that vote of confidence from Lou Lamarillo, but he needs to win because we saw what happened last year when Barry Trotz didn't make the playoffs. And, and, and Lou Lamarillo, as he described himself to me as an impatient, patient person. Well, you know, he if he, you know, continues on as the Islanders' boss uh, through this season, uh, you know, at, at some point, you know, it's going to be Lou Lamarillo's final season. I know how desperately he burns to win another Stanley Cup before this is all done. And, you know, I, I know there's, you know, there's some questions about what Lou's doing. I, I see the comments that you email to me, uh, that you get to me on Twitter. I, I can tell you, knowing Lou, that no one's more competitive than he is. And, and look, he's he is doing what he thinks is best to win a Stanley Cup, even if you, know, you might disagree with it. And at times, to be honest with you, I, I might disagree with it. I, I know Lou Lamarillo does have that competitive fire really burning, um, especially, you know, it's not talking out of school to say that, you know, his NHL career is winding down, be it this year, be it three years down the road, be it five years down the road, you know, his NHL career is winding down. And I know how much he does want to win a Stanley Cup uh, before it ends. And, you know, right now his job is with the Islanders. So he absolutely wants to win a Stanley Cup with the Islanders. So as I mentioned, Lou's got three options now. Buy more, buy more than Bo Horvat. Start to sell and, you know, set yourself up for next season and start to replenish, you know, what is somewhat of a depleted organization in terms of draft picks and and really NHL prospects. And, and you got to start replenishing that or you keep the status quo. And, and that's a lot of times, you know, Barry Trotz used to preach his faith in this core. Lou Lamarillo has preached his faith in this core. Lane Lambert has preached his faith in this core. Are they going to give this core yet another kick at the can here and keep the status quo with adding Bo Horvat? Well, it, you can't discount that option. Look, if it's me, as I look at it, option one, which is buy more, or option three, keeping the status quo that neither guarantees a playoff spot because the Islanders just haven't been consistent enough. And option two, which is sell, that sort of goes against Lou Lamarillo's way. He, uh, he views every season as a win now scenario and, uh, you know, uh, selling and you talk about players that they could sell. And, you know, those are the impending unrestricted free agents. Uh, you, you talk about, uh, um, Semyon Varlamov in, in net, right? Uh, you talk about Scott Mayfield on defense and even Zach Parisi, who by the way is uh, once again, one of, you know, one of the bargains in, in terms of the NHL this season with the way he, he plays, he works so hard. Um, and, and he scores too. Um, and he's, yeah, he's 38. Um, and he's doing more than probably you could have expected from him. And, and I think that's a, a credit to Zach Parisi. Um, and that would really be up to Zach, I think. And knowing Lou and knowing his background with Zach, that's probably a discussion they would have as to whether Zach would want to go, if the Islanders do drop out of it through this upcoming seven-game stretch, whether Zach Parisi 
wants to go to a, a more solid uh, playoff contender. But, you know, it, we, we, we've discussed this Islander lineup, right? Uh, we've discussed it all through the season. And, uh, and, and we've heard Lane Lambert say more than once, in fact, repeatedly, that this performance was unacceptable or that performance was unacceptable or this play was unacceptable or the team needs to have more situational awareness. Uh, that was the, uh, uh, the, the goal in Montreal is Mike uh, Hoffman comes out of the penalty box and creates an odd man rush and we hear Lane Lambert say this, and then we question really why there's no follow-up, right? Uh, if he thinks something's unacceptable, why why isn't he, you know, stirring up the hornet's nest? Why isn't he putting the hammer down? And, and really, the coach's hammer is playing time. All players want, they, 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 they are fearful of losing playing time. But honestly, the way Lou Lamarillo has composed this roster right now, and obviously injuries play a part, right? Because Oliver Wallstrom isn't here, as I mentioned. He's out long-term. He was seen walking around the UBS uh, press box uh, on crutches and with a a brace on his knee. Um, He certainly does not seem like he's going to be able to make it back this season. And, you know, Cal Clutterbuck seems like he's always injured and he's injured again. And, you know, that's just, you know, poor Cal. That's, and we, and I had this chat with Cal during one of his healthy stretches, but this is just him, his body getting older. It, it just is. And, uh, you know, I know how frustrating it is to him, and I feel for him. I, I really do. I, I like Cal Clutterbuck a lot, and you know, but just the way he plays and the way he has played since he entered the NHL, it takes a toll on his body, and and his body is breaking down. Unfortunately, he just keeps getting hurt, and the, the, there are young prospects. There, Atu Ratu is out the door, but you know. William DeFore is still here. Ruslan Iskakov, and I get that name wrong every time, and I apologize to Ruslan, but neither one is NHL ready yet. So really, you know, say Lane Lambert wants to bench Josh Bailey because there's just no production there lately. What are his options? I mean, you know, are you going to put Ross Johnson into the lineup and think that you know, there'll be more production that way. And, and, and all respect to R- Ross Johnson, he does a job for this team when needed, but he's, you know, he's got, you know, a decent rest shot, but he's not out there to score, you know? So are, are you going to bench Josh Bailey and put Ross Johnson in and, and, and think that, you know, that that's going to make things better? Are you going to, you know, they, they bring up Otto Koivula with Jean-Gabriel Pajot, out of the lineup and Otto Koivula goes in, but he's in his fifth season with the organization. He's 24 years old. He's played 28, 21 NHL games and he hasn't proven to the organization yet that he's going to be a, a highly impactful player. I mean, uh, so I, I just don't see, you know, if Lane Lambert wants to put the hammer down and he wants to hold these players accountable you can do it in game. You can cut your, you know, you can cut your rotation down. And he did it, you know, uh, as Josh Bailey got dropped off 
the Horvat Barzell line. I don't think he skated the last 10 minutes of regulation, something like that, uh, against the Senators. So Lambert can do it during the game. But bigger picture, Lane is not really, you know, it's not really a full deck. And, and that's why I say, you know, if Lou's going to go for it here, um, you, you have to, you absolutely have to bring in another scoring wing. And you might need some defense help. But then you're you're paying the piper down the road, and uh, you know, like I said, this organization is already depleted uh, in terms of draft capital and uh, prospect assets. And uh, you make more of these playoff rental, or you know, you bring in you know more veteran players, and uh, you know, you just really worry where this organization is going to be you know, even two seasons down the road, because a lot of these players, you're going to see them age out pretty quickly here, I think, you know, just based on where they are in their careers. And it, look, Bo Horvat's 27. You got him locked up uh, for eight years starting next season. The same deal with uh, with uh, Matthew Barzell. And, and there is, you know, you talk about the Islanders' core. Going forward, the Islanders' core, to me, is Matthew Barzell, it's Bo Horvat, it's Noah Dobson, and if you can get this guy signed for under eight and a half million per season, nine million per season, Ilya Sorokin, you know, you got those four players, and that's a really good start, but everything else has to be up for discussion. At this point, going forward, uh, you got some no modified, no trade clauses. But if Lou is thinking long term, you know, there really cannot be any other untouchables when it comes to trades at this point. And certainly, you know, you go through this seven games and you really determine that you are not going to be a real playoff contender. And, and they, you know, those guys know uh, they know then you really have to start thinking about you know, moving your impending unrestricted free agents and maybe seeing, you know, what the market will bear for some of your other players. And, you know, uh, you know, you would hate to give up a Brock Nelson. He's, he's really, he's in the prime of his career, right? But if you're really going to retool it, if you're really going to recoup assets, draft picks, and, and, and good prospects, you're going to have to move a guy like a Brock Nelson or a Pajot or a Ryan Pulak or an Adam Pellick. Uh, as painful as that's going to be in the moment, you're going to have to consider that if these, I, I would think, if these seven games really do go south. But, you know, that's that's not my call. That's, that's Lou Lamarillo's call. And like I said, rebuilding is a dirty word to Lou. He... He believes that, like I said, every season is this precious win-now moment. But, you know, at a certain point, you know, reality kicks in. And look, I, I know that sounds like all gloom and doom. And the Islanders could go out and win. You know, if they sweep the seven games, as unlikely as that is, you know, we're all going to be talking about, you know, geniuses, right? And 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 how different everything is. But the Islanders are in a tough spot. They've played uh, more games than anyone else in the NHL. The Penguins uh, you have to win those games because the Penguins have so many games in hand. 
on you um, and the teams chasing you like the Sabres have games in hand on you. So uh, even the Senators are, are slowly catching up as well. And uh, they play a hard game. Uh, they're, they're going to be a good team down the road uh, if, if they can solidify uh, their goaltending and, you know, bring a few more uh, chips into the, the pot here. But um, as for some positives, as I mentioned, I, I did speak to Noah Dobson, who I, I think is an absolute, he's a gem of a player and he gets better uh, as you watch him. Certainly offensively, Noah's talked about, you know, needing to be better defensively um, and, and that, you know, he's 23, he's going to get better. But offensively, you, you see the progress uh, really trending upwards. And I really like how he is able to, you know, kind of freeze the defense, uh, make them think shot, and then get the puck tape to tape uh, on someone's stick for a deflection. So I I had an interesting chat with him about that ability to create tip and chances for his teammates. Seems you have improved tremendously with this ability to sort of, you know, make the goalie think you're taking the shot and then put it on a, 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 on someone's stick for the tip. How much how, how much have you worked on that? Uh, yeah, I think you work on deception and stuff like that. That's that's definitely part of it. I think another part of it is just like your your hockey sense and your reads to kind of feel when there's a guy backside for you and to kind of have your head up and see those plays. But I think the main thing now is the goalies are so good that it's tough to beat them clean on your shots. So you're always trying to look for – it's tough for them to when you can sell the shot and they come out and challenge you and then you throw a pass from back door. So that's kind of just an area I've just try to, to work on to try and create more offense. And our guys have done a good job in getting in those spots and getting available. How much of that, you know, what you're able to do, how much of that is just, you know, growing confidence, knowing you can now? Yeah, for sure. I think uh, taking the extra second offensively when you have the puck, I think maybe earlier on, my first uh, year, you're kind of, you don't really want the puck up there. You're kind of shooting it right away. And I think now having the confidence to kind of see see a play, take your time and and the main thing is when you have uh, an extra time or second or the ice, you, you got to take it. I think uh, it's hard to score from way out in the blue line. you got to try and just create something that's a little more dangerous. So just all part of growing and confidence and just feeling comfortable up there. Do you feel like you, your teammates, I mean, are they starting to anticipate that now? I mean, it, it looks like the sticks are available. Yeah, yeah, no, for sure. I think uh, not just me, but as a whole. Uh, group that's part of our offensive game when uh, teams are doing a good job blocking shots, trying to get their stick available on the backside and stuff like that. I think we've seen a couple goals like that this year. I know Maisie's had a couple to the backside, to Nelly, and a couple other guys too. So it's definitely part of our offensive game. And we've got a, a good forward group that's uh, really crafty with like their sticks and, and getting to the stick on Pox tips. Like you saw in Montreal, like, the tip that Brock made was a pretty special play. Yeah. Do you? Is that more of a power play thing, or can you pull that out five on five just as easily? Yeah, I think just as easily five on five. Obviously, there's times and uh, times throughout the game where you, you just got to try and get pucks on net. Um, but there's times where there's plays to be made, and you got to try and make those plays. But uh, I think it's a, a good balance of knowing when to put a puck on net and, and trying to see what happens, or try and make a play to the backside. I think it's just all about a balance and the time of the game and what's available. What 
specifically Bo Horvat going in the bumper position. What has that created for the power play? Just because he, he's pretty commanding in the middle there. Yeah, well, I think it, it creates another uh, dynamic where teams have to worry about. So it opens someone else up. Obviously, they're down a man, so there's got to be someone open. But I think he really understands uh, the spots he needs to be in to, to get the pucks or when a shot's coming through to get a tip on it or where the rebound's going to end up. So he's got a really good understanding of the spots where to have success in that spot. And as a, a unit, I think it's just add another dynamic where teams have to worry about. And I'm assuming confidence is a huge component of, of any power player. Right? Yeah, yeah, for sure. I think you've seen it this year. Uh, when we got rolling, we, we've had the confidence. Uh, we've strung really good games together. And obviously we had a couple low downtime there. But I think now we've kind of started to get that confidence back with getting a couple goals. And that's huge. I think you just want to build on that. And, you're not going to be able to score every night in the power play, even though you want to. But as long as you're getting those looks and momentum for the team, that's that's what's important for the group. Now, I, I also talked to Brock Nelson uh, amongst other subjects. Uh, I do have this uh, soundbite from Brock Nelson uh, about Noah Dobson's ability uh, at at creating the tip-ins, and Nelson was the recipient for uh, just such a goal against the Canadians. Is, uh, is it my imagination that Noah Dobson seems to be getting much better at that, like, sort of fake shot, to, yes. like, get yeah. it to a Yeah, stick, it almost right? looks like a, I mean, it's it's so fast, that I don't know what the, the time would be, but it, it you can see it's like a, a load up, like you saw in the shot, and then, you know, half sec on the way down, and kind of, you know, find a lane or a stick, and uh, connected on a few from him, so that's nice. Is that stuff, I mean, I know you guys work on deflections here, but how how hard is it to develop that type of connection? It's, I mean, it's, it obviously Dauber's able to kind of read the play. Um, as far as down low, you're just trying to beat your guy and find, you know, body position and have a stick for you, which is, is tough and um, isn't always the case. So uh, a lot of credit to Dauber and the demon up top and able to find those looks to to see past that first defender, the winger, and, and read the play. I think the guy's got a, you know, a step or a lane in that. So thanks to Noah Dobson and Brock Nelson for uh, taking the time to answer my questions. I, I always appreciate the uh, the back and forth. Uh, it's a privilege for me. I love hockey. Um, I absolutely adore the sport. And every day is an education. Uh, it really is. And, and that's one of the, the cool things about getting to talk to these players uh, is, you know, sometimes you just learn things that, you know, uh, that you wouldn't have thought of. And uh, I, I really do appreciate the moments I get with these guys in the dressing room for chats like that. But uh, uh, as for now, I'm going to uh, see what is on all of your minds. It's time for your questions with Andrew's Answers. And we'll start with Robert Goldman, who said, What happened to Jean-Gabriel Pajot? Uh, I thought he practiced on Monday. And yeah, he, he did participate in Monday's practice. And Monday's practice was a very physical, upbeat, uh, up-tempo. Lane got in their faces a little bit. He got you know, some salty language. He was really pushing the team on Monday, a lot of box outs and engaging more along the walls and, and not backing off. Lane just wants this team to be more physically engaged. Um, but uh, I do think uh, Pajot got a little bit nicked up 
in practice on Monday. Apparently a lot nicked up because he's on injured reserve with a uh, an upper body injury. And Lane Lambert did say it was unrelated to uh, Pajot missing uh, the previous practice. Uh, I believe that was on Friday. So whatever happened did happen in practice on Monday per Lane Lambert. Um See, Andy Hicks says, if you on who if you were on who wants to be a millionaire and you needed to phone a friend without seeing the question, which one of your colleagues would you call? <laughs> and I saw on Twitter that uh, our good friend Neil Best um, uh, immediately chimed in me. And, and I will say, Neil was probably the, the first guy that came to mind for me. And, and just in an aside... If the Islanders do miss the playoffs, one of the things I'm going to really miss is uh, getting to do all those podcasts with Neil, because Neil would join me in the uh, Islanders playoff coverage, and and Colin Stevenson was in on that a couple of seasons back, if you remember, but it looks like Colin certainly will be busy covering the uh, Rangers in the playoffs, but... uh, uh, I'm going to miss, uh, if the Islanders miss the playoffs, not getting to uh, sit and chat with Neil a little bit. So, like I said, uh, Neil was probably my, my first thought. And then, you know, if if it wasn't Neil, I, probably the guy on staff I would call is our fine NFL uh, football columnist, former Giants beat writer Tom Rock. I just feel like he's a treasure trove of information and trivia and all that. So, uh, you know, between Neil or Tom Rock, I'm pretty sure I would get the correct answer. And and again, you know, I'm probably going to hear it from everyone else on staff. I love everyone who works at Newsday. I think everyone is incredibly intelligent. Uh, Let's see. um, Trio of questions here. Jack Anton says, these last three losses against draft lottery teams, and that's not you know, a hundred percent set in stone because the senators could still move up. Uh, but these last three losses against draft lottery team showed everyone what this Islanders team is all about when they drop at least two of the next three games, and that would be the two games against the Penguins and the one in Boston. Does Lou Lamarillo finally decide to trade away the pending UFAs for picks? And tell me that first line Josh Bailey is gone for good. Thomas Boyle says do you see the Islanders moving Scott Mayfield before the trade deadline? Brian G says, will Lou Lamarillo recoup some assets lost before the trade deadline? Do Zach Parisi a favor, trade him to a contender. Um, Varley, like uh, he says, trade him to a contender like Boston. Uh, Brian G says, Varlamov to LA seems like a perfect fit. Uh, Islanders would need to take back Jonathan Quick, maybe. Uh, Scott Mayfield to Edmonton. And uh, look, I can't tell you where uh, some of these guys go if uh, they would be traded. Um, Boy, Zach Parisi to Boston, you know, that would really... Uh, the, the Bruins do have a good third line, so I'm not necessarily sure Zach would, you know, would have a guaranteed spot there, but, uh, you know, he would certainly help their bottom six. Just going through it, like I said, uh, I, I don't know if they, you know, if they lose two of the three to the Penguins and the Bruins, whether that would, 
make Lamarillo finally decide to trade away the pending UFAs. I think any other further trades are going to come a lot closer to the March 3rd trade deadline. Like I said, I think you want to give them the seven-game stretch here and then decide. I do think you have that time. Um, But yeah, I mean, if it's me and and the Islanders are still trading, treading water through this, yeah, I'm, I'm pulling the trigger on that. And that includes, you know, trading Scott Mayfield because... I I don't know that you're going to re-sign him anyway uh, based on your salary cap and where you need to allocate the money and, uh, you know, the raise that he's going to get. He's at one and a half right now. And, you know, the going rate for a top six defenseman in the NHL is, you know, you're you're probably at least three and a half million there, maybe closer to four million, you know, between three and four million. So, you know, I, I don't know that they get that done even if he sticks around. Um, I don't think Josh Bailey, uh, you know, is, I, I think they're going to go another direction with Horvat and, and Barzell. Uh, they'll start with Anders Lee. And, uh, you know, like I said, I, I think it would be a conversation between Lou Lamarillo and Zach Parisi as to whether he wanted to be traded. Um, I'm not convinced he would want to be traded uh, this season. I, I do think... He's going to be a UFA. Um, he could go somewhere else next year, but I, I don't. I, I know Zach likes playing for the Islanders. There's a legacy factor there. There's a, a you know a, an emotional bond with his father, uh, JP. Um, I don't think he would want to be traded in season. Uh, I know Simeon Varlam uh, doesn't either, but. Uh, it, it does make sense to see what you can get for him, you know, for teams needing a goalie for the playoffs. Although trades like that don't always, you know, they're, they're not, they're more on the rare side, uh, goalies being moved like that, but it, it can happen. Let's see. Uh, Matt says if the Islanders move Varlama for a first round pick, uh, could he resign at something like two? years and two and a half million, or will that ship sail? Uh, and he's talking about re-signing with the Islanders, and I'm also not convinced the Islanders are going to get a, a first-rounder back for him, possibly, uh, if there's enough competition. But look, if Varlamov moves on, I don't think he's coming back. Uh, just because in, in, in Varlamov's mind, I know he still wants to be a number one goalie, or at least a guy who's going to get a 50-50 split in a rotation. And that's that's just not going to happen with Ilya Sorokin. And I know he likes being with the Islanders, but, you know, he's coming off, you know, a four-year, $20 million deal with a $5 million cap. Uh, I don't know if he's looking to go down to 2.5. I think he can get more uh, as an unrestricted free agent. So I, I, if the Islanders trade Varlamov, I would not expect to see him back. Um, uh, Thomas Carroll says, and this is uh, based off of my uh, tweet that Laura Albanese uh, covered practice on Thursday. Um, Laura can be my voice. If they practice the shootout, keep yelling, skate faster. I can't understand the players coming almost to a stop trying to fool the goalkeeper. And what they're looking for is they sweep wide and then sort of slow down is, one, they're trying to get the goalie to move side to side. And by doing that, you're trying to get the goalie to flash an opening that you could shoot for, whether it be, you know, uh, one post or another or through the five hole or over the block or whatever. But that's 
what they're looking to do, but I've never taken a shootout shot, so I can't tell you what's best. But yeah, it does it does look like the goalies can settle in the slower you go. Melissa says, why is it the Islanders rarely practice anymore? It was never like this with trots. And look, uh, we, we've debated, uh, not debated, but I, I've asked Lane Lambert about this, so you know, how you balance the fact that in a tight schedule, you're not practicing much in should you practice the team, push the team to practice more? Um, and he says they're always trying to balance that, but usually the rest and recovery takes precedence over the on ice practice. And look, it was it was exactly like this last year with Barry Trotz. Uh, I think they had two practices um, from February on. Um, you know, not counting morning skates. As you get deeper into the season. Uh, and, and the schedule really bunches up. Uh, teams tend to uh, prioritize rest and recovery over on-ice practice. Uh, P. Williams says, Hi, Andrew. Do you see the team resigning Hudson Fashing and also keep pushing that Grateful Dead Night? And yeah, I would love to see that. Uh, the Grateful Dead Night, that is. Look, I, I, the way Hudson Fashing has played... There might be some competition for him on the market, and the Islanders just might get un- outbid, and another team might be able to to promise Hudson Fashing more of a role or more of a guaranteed role. But look, I, I think Hudson Fashing has shown that he can be a bottom six forward in the NHL, um, and, and certainly I think he's... You know, depending on what happens with Cal Clutterbuck, um, I, I think he can certainly slot into that fourth line on a permanent basis. So I think the Islanders will try and re-sign Hudson Fashing, but he may get more money and a, a promise of a, a guarantee of, or not a guarantee, but a promise, a possibility of more playing time elsewhere. And we'll finish up with JC, who just, uh, I guess... Uh, a stream of consciousness says, how can they win when the other team has no fear that the Islanders can score on them? The Islanders are better with Horvat and Barzell playing together, especially on the power play. How can they win when no one is scared to take a penalty against them? The power play has done a little bit better with Horvat here. How can they win when the coach can't coach motivate them? Uh, he can coach them in practice, and uh, it's getting them... I I would question the way that translates into games sometimes. I I think that is a valid point. How can they win without the defensive structure that led to wins? And look, uh, Lane Lambert sacrificed some of that defense to get up the ice and create more offense. And uh, yeah, the defensive structure has been leaky at times this season. So, uh, you know, some of, some of those points are valid and, uh, those are the questions for Andrew's answers. I thank all of you for submitting them. And uh, again, this is uh, episode 155 of Island Ice. And for all Newsday content on the Islanders, please go to newsday.com backslash aisles or newsday.com backslash sports. If you want to follow me on Twitter, it's agrosnewsday. And until we speak again, happy hockey, everybody.